Good to see you all. Um, if we have not met, A, I would love to meet you. We are at the end of the year and the holidays and everything. It, we, get, we get small, and one of the gifts of being small is we can actually get to know one another a little bit better. My name is Devin. I am a staff elder here at Commons LA. Um, we are in the midst of Advent. If you're not familiar with Advent, Advent means uh, the arrival or the coming, and it is the four weeks leading up to Christmas. Uh, the birth of Jesus, the incarnation of the Son of God is what we celebrate at Christmas, and the four weeks leading up to Christmas uh, in church history have been the season of preparing ourselves and waiting on God. Now, obviously, Christ has come. That is the glory of what the scriptures and the gospel pronounce to us. But we are also promised that he will come again. And so to both uh, grasp and grow in the reality that God has come and has promised to uh, make all things new again, and to look ahead to when he will fully and finally fulfill those promises, we wait and we cultivate this heart posture of waiting, which is fundamentally us acknowledging we cannot do what we need to be able to do on our own. Um, we need God to come and to meet us. And so we're in our third week of examining a different passage in the scriptures that has traditionally been read and used to tell the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus. So today we are going to be in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56. So you have that printed out in your weekly liturgy. That's just our guide to walk through in our gatherings. You have it printed out there. You're welcome to open up your Bibles, open up your apps, uh, whatever you need. A um, couple of additional invitations for you as we start and kind of open up. Um, the first one is we announced a few weeks ago that uh, someone had uh, stepped up at the year end. Year end is oftentimes a season for um, additional above and beyond giving. For people, as the year comes, there are tax implications, and it's just the season of giving where uh, we get to, to do that. And uh, a family connected to TCLA has offered to uh, match up to $30,000 in year-end giving, which is awesome. We have, so far, to the year-end giving match fund, we've had $9,660 given which is amazing. One third of the way there, if you've ever been in like fundraising and any of that, normally it's like all given in the last four days as people are like, oh shoot, I've been meaning to do that. To be one third of the way, way done is awesome. Um, but we would ask you to consider how you can contribute to that um, in whatever manner so that we can take advantage of this gift as much as possible, right? You can do that by um, in the giving on our website or app. Um, you can select the 2023 year-end giving fund. You can write 2023 or year-end giving however you want on a check and deposit it in our giving box. Um, and we will see if we can't take advantage of all that is on the table for us. Uh, second thing, we have our Advent devotional. If you want to uh, cultivate this sense of waiting and reliance on God and keeping your eyes focused on Jesus in the season, you can go to our flow code that's here. You take your phone, scan the QR code, 
And we have a button on there to download an Advent devotional that has daily readings and some habits that are really, really helpful to embody uh, the posture of waiting and find that we start to encounter God more and long for God more at the same time. So, all right, let's dive in. Would you all stand with me as we read God's word out of reverence for his word? Luke chapter 1, verses 46. I'm actually going to stop at 55. This is Mary um, having received from uh, her cousin, Elizabeth, this word spoken over her about who, uh, uh, about Jesus, about the Son of God in, in the womb that she is carrying. And this is the song that she breaks out in. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, because the Mighty One has done great things for me, and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him, He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we want to humble ourselves before you right now. Jesus, we believe that in your coming, something profound has happened that that we can actually know you and follow you and live into your kingdom here and now. And so, Lord Jesus, would you speak to us by your Holy Spirit dwells among us whenever we gather. Would you speak to us? We need you. We invite you here. We confess how difficult it is for us to wait for anything in our day and that that saps so much of our anticipation and the wonder and the glory and the thankfulness that we could have in you. And so, would you free us? Would you free us for joy? Um, Help our ears to hear what you would have to say to us today by your spirit through your word. In Christ's name, amen. All right, go ahead and take a seat. So, what we're seeing and reading here in the story of Jesus being born to Mary, his mother, Joseph, his earthly father. Um, Mary is the mother of Jesus and was a poor woman in Nazareth. So, we know that she's poor because when they come to present Jesus in the temple, as every faithful Israelite would have done, 
there was provision in the law, in the Old Testament, the book of Deuter or Leviticus, that uh, called for every child that is presented, firstborn son particularly, to have a lamb given. And we read in Luke, one chapter after this, that they actually brought a pair of turtle doves. A pair of turtle doves was a provision in the law that allowed for those who could not afford a lamb to give something that they could afford. And so this poor woman in Nazareth who was betrothed, kind of like being engaged, but not yet married, is told by the angel Gabriel that she's going to bear God's son, who will be the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world. And so she runs to her cousin, Elizabeth, to tell her the news and finds that Elizabeth, too, has is bearing a son, John the Baptizer. And she prophesies to Mary about the significance of this baby that's going to be born. And Mary bursts out into song. And the song is, in church history, it's been called the Magnificat. It's, it's Mary just um, proclaiming all of God's wonder and splendor over what he's done for her in this. And it's a peculiar message that Mary has. And I just want to like lay out before all of you, it's very challenging. Um, it's very challenging for me. I don't pretend to have ironed out all that this has implications-wise. And I think, too, that it even challenged in my preparation this week, it challenged some of the lenses that I think I, I walk around with in my day-to-day -day life, imagining what God is like, what kind of heart he has, what he calls me and us to. 21st century followers of Jesus in the city that we're in. This is her message. This is the main note of her song. That she is exalting God because of his favor over her, his mercy to her, and his might in the world. Now, he says, she says rather, in verse 51, he's done a mighty deed with his arm. And the mighty deed is this. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy. So there, there are two things that are going on in what Mary is describing in this moment where she's experiencing glory over like seeing God. Have you ever had that moment where you feel like you can see God more clearly than you could before and your, your heart kind of bursts or leaps forward over sensing the glory, the beauty of God? And for her, that beauty that she sees in God and what he's doing in and through her is extending mercy to her in her situation, which is representative of his heart of mercy towards all of his servants. And his opposition to those higher up in the structures of the world. Now, we've got to do a little bit of sifting here so that we don't misunderstand maybe what she's doing. But first, what we can take away is that God is a God of mercy. Okay? 
Mercy, common word thrown around church all the time. It's one of those things where we say it without necessarily knowing, knowing precisely what it means. Okay? Mercy, sometimes I've heard it said it's not getting what you do deserve. I'm not sure that's the most helpful terminology to use because mercy is God's pity in drawing near to us in our weaknesses and our need. Okay? So when you feel inadequate, when you feel weak, when you feel feeble and unable, that is the moment that you can see the beauty and be encouraged by God's mercy. It's that God's leaning in, remembering, just like, oh, where is it? Psalm 107, somewhere in there, right? If you read Psalm from 103 to 107, you'll find this somewhere in there. We'll say that he remembers our frame. He knows that we are but dust. That he has compassion on his children because he remembers that we're dust. It's not he has compassion on his children because we're so great. It's that he remembers our frame. He remembers our weaknesses. He knows our need and he leans toward us in that. I mean, in our like performance-oriented, success-driven kind of little bubble that we live in, in this community, we're like, we want to not need any mercy from anyone because we don't want to be weak. And so I wonder for how many of us we could be transformed in the way that we relate to God and people and live our lives simply by taking up this really significant element of what Mary is saying and declaring in God's coming near. That he's a God of mercy. That he doesn't need us to be strong and mighty. He didn't pick us into his family because we were the greatest and the best. But actually that we're really fitting examples of usefulness to his mercy. That like we're weak so he can use us and he looks strong. So if in this season, in this stage of life, in your work context, class context, whatever it might be, you feel inadequate, you are perfectly positioned to know the nearness of God and His power. How willing He is in His heart lurching towards you. And the invitation is simply to receive it. To receive His mercy. To say, God, I do. I cry out to you. Would you be my help today? I felt so weak in my abilities, I felt so weak in my mental health, I felt so weak, broken, please come, help me. His mercy, Mary says, is from generation to generation on those who fear him. On those who fear him. Fear, scripture, reminder, reverential awe. It's placing ourselves beneath God and not trying to place God beneath us. It's trying to say, God, I am yours. You created me. You sustain me. You help me. You provide for me. I am yours. Okay? That's the place where he is glad to extend his mercy to. And that's Mary's response to Gabriel coming to her and saying, you're going to be blessed. You are a favored one of God. His son is going to be born through you. She responds with humble submission to that plan. She says, may it be done as the Lord desires. 
She's an example for us of relying on God's mercy, trusting him and submitting ourselves to him. So this message of Advent in Mary's song, first is that God extends mercy and compassion, looks with favor upon his humble servants. There's a ton of encouragement in that. But there's also a warning. Chances are you heard it, you caught it. This is the warning. The coming of God's Messiah will reverse what the world blesses. Selfish ambition, self-promotion, greed, self-centeredness, using power for ourselves rather than others, and a whole host of other human-centered postures. God will topple those and will exalt what the world has overlooked, what the world has marginalized, and what the world has oppressed. I mean, it's just right there, right? I'm not saying anything that's not the lyrics of her song. And so, if you've followed Jesus for very long, chances are you've heard he, he saves us from our sin, he adopts us into his family, he's remaking the world from its brokenness and its, and its darkness, its suffering and sorrow will one day be all gone. But a part of what is so significant of Advent is that God is a God of justice, That the world, due to sin, brokenness, evil, is fundamentally an unjust place. Therefore, it produces people who are hurt, marginalized, taken advantage of. And we need to be able to have our eyes open looking at that, having our hearts shaped by God's heart, and looking ahead to what God promises he will do, and rejoicing in it. Like when you hear me saying, God's a God of justice, and everything that's evil, oppressive, um, and and unjust is going to be reversed. Does your heart just burst forward with a song like Mary? For some of us, it does. For others of us, we might just kind of be like, ah, cool, yeah, do that, God. But here's the danger. If we don't feel the need for justice in the coming of Jesus, we're probably on the wrong side of the ladder. And we need to hear the warning. And what I don't mean is what's so common in our day that says everyone who has power or any of that is an oppressor and everyone who does not is oppressed. That is not the dynamic of Scripture. Scripture says that there are righteous and unrighteous. You can be poor or rich and be righteous or unrighteous, but it will dictate the way that you use what you have. And if you are one who uses what the world has entrusted to you for yourself to take advantage of others, you will find yourself in the coming of God toppled down. That's what she says in verse 52. 
The mighty will be toppled from their thrones and the lowly will be exalted. Now, what we need to know is God will not exalt the lowly who have rejected God, walked away from him. Like the future is not just, I was lowly in this life, therefore I'm exalted in the next. He's speaking of all who have called him father, who have trusted in Christ as Savior, all who are oppressed, marginalized, lowly, who are looking to Jesus will find themselves exalted up in the order of his coming kingdom. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. All who have thoughts that inflate themselves, that assume the best of themselves, that are centered on themselves, will be scattered. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Those who hunger now, those without what they need, will be satisfied in God's kingdom. And those who have indulged and lived in luxury will be sent away hungry. Now, this is not just Mary's song that states this. This is the arc of Scripture and its narrative. Right? You need look no further than Jesus himself. I wonder if he knew that this was Mary's song. I wonder how he incorporated this into the Beatitudes when he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness in Matthew. And in Luke's version, blessed are those who hunger and thirst now, for they will be satisfied. We who, many of us in this context, are on the upper side with mobility in society, with resources, we need to hear the warning of Advent. The warning is simply this. God has entrusted something to you. It's not first and foremost for you. Because the promise of Advent is not just a future thing that God will do that we're just celebrating and looking forward to then. It's something we live into now. What Jesus came and started in the incarnation, the church carries on now by the power of the Spirit. And Jesus will one day fully and finally materialize it in the new creation when all things have been made new. And so for us, as a people... Here's the warning if we find ourselves with enough and more than enough and power and accolade and, and the things that the world can offer to us. How are we using it? Are we using it in a way that blesses those around us? Or are we using it to bless ourselves and only those whom we might favor? This is challenging. It's really challenging. And I want to poke a little bit for us just to show how much our minds have been held captive to the way that the world uh, tells us we need to live. All right? Now, there's some, some normal things that I think most of us could reject um, out of hand as followers of Jesus that I will be happy if 
uh, I consume things. Right? I'll be happy if I have stuff that I can take in. Right? And Mary says, those who hunger and thirst will be satisfied. Those who have no need will, will be sent away empty. Now, most of us know to dismiss out of hand the thought, I'm, I'm going to be made more happy if I can just consume a little bit more. It's no secret. We live in a culture and a society that is consumeristic to its core. Our economy is based off of us becoming the kind of consumers that need more and more and more. But I've told you this story many a time. I do it regularly. I open the fridge at 9 o'clock at night, and I'm not hungry. There's something empty in me. There's a longing in me. We all go to things in this world to find the kind of what we could call happiness or peace or whatever it might be, thinking that by consuming something, we've just been trained. When what Scripture calls us to do is to share our surplus with others. And we stock our surplus for the day that we might not even be hungry, but need it for something that it wasn't even created for. Basil the Great, was a church father in the 4th century, wrote a book called On Social Justice. Sounds like it could have been written like 10 minutes ago. It's written in the 4th century. And it is all about how the people of Jesus, the Son of God who came into the world in poverty, made himself poor. How we who follow him ought to live with what we have. There's a couple quotes from the book. I know many who fast, pray, sigh, and demonstrate every manner of piety so long as it costs them nothing, yet would not part with a penny to help those in distress. Anybody resonate with that? This is not a new problem in the church. It says elsewhere, the bread which you do not use is the bread of the hungry. The garment hanging in your wardrobe is the garment of him who is naked. The shoes that you do not wear are the shoes of the one who is barefoot. The money that you keep locked away is the money of the poor. The acts of charity that you do not perform are so many injustices that you commit. Now, I'm probably just as challenged as many of us are in reading something like that. It's not from a position of moral superiority, but from a position of, oh my gosh, I have so much surplus. And the perspective of leaders and teachers throughout church history has been, if you have surplus, give it away. And as I was pondering, like this week, thinking about some of these things, like where did the assumption that you need to save 10% of your paycheck for a future day come from? If that's news to you, like just common, you know, financial wisdom to say, you know, Give 10% away if you're like in the church. This is maybe how some of you are disciples. Give 10% away, save 10%, and then live on the rest. Like who, who said that that's what we ought to do? 
Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and clothes and food will be added to you. Now, don't hear me prescribing a particular thing that we all need to do. I want to free our imagination to say, what could be possible if we hear these words of Mary and the gospel of Jesus? The kingdom of God is at hand. What are you worried about? What if we live so radically different according to this magnificent song of the grace of God that the world would say, you are insane. And then they would see the gracious provision and the miraculous power of God's Spirit and say, what is that? And we could say, well, let, let us tell you about the Jesus who's alive. There is so much more that the coming of Jesus has provided for you and for me but he does not force it on any of us. His kingdom is one of freely given love and an invitation to take hold of his power. So, how can we, many of whom have much, become the kind of people in our discipleship and following Jesus who can take hold of everything at our disposal in the kingdom of God, the power of His Spirit. Because none of us will slip into really faithful witnesses and conduits of God's kingdom resources. It does not happen by accident. We have this kind of really crazy Christian imagination, many of us, that if I just feed more Bible into my head then I will become a better Christian. When in fact, discipleship is this embodied reality. We were given bodies so that we could actually live out this stuff. And as we live it out, it shapes our hearts to be more deeply in love with Jesus and lovers of others. So, if we were to take heed of Mary's song and glory even more in the justice of God and his coming kingdom that will reverse corruption and injustice and bless those who in this life did not have. How can we cultivate that? There's a, there's a, a phrase in, I believe it's the Marines, it's in one of the military branches, that says, you do not rise to the moment Right, So think of the moment that might come today as you walk out these doors or you have lunch with someone and there's need presented to you and you have resources or ability or influence to be able to help someone or meet somebody. We cannot assume we will rise to the occasion spontaneously. You do, you do not rise to the occasion, you fall back on your training. You do not rise to the occasion, you fall back on your training. That means the kind of people we are in the mundane things are the kind of person we will be in the great things. This is just what Jesus said as well when he said, those who are faithful with little will be faithful with much. Yeah. So in the little of mundane stuff, how can we grow to be faithful? One simple thing to start with that any of us can. Practice gratitude. 
our lenses are so dysfunctional in our day, we feel entitled, we feel like we don't have enough, we swipe through Instagram and we start feeling insecure, we feel like we're missing out, we feel like we don't have, we feel like there are so many better options that could be there that it cultivates this posture of ingratitude. And you notice how Mary starts this whole song. She blesses God. She's grateful to God. You want to know what she's grateful for? Being pregnant out of wedlock with God's Messiah. <laughs> like, like, we got food in the cupboard. We got relative comfort. And we're like, nah. God, why haven't you answered this prayer or that prayer? <laughs> we have so much to be grateful for. We got breath in our lungs, family. We are living here. Basil the Great, again, says, Preserve gratitude like a precious deposit within your soul. And from it, you will receive a double portion of delight. Remember the apostolic word, his reference for scripture. Give thanks in all circumstances. Like, giving thanks in all circumstances is not some command of God over us saying, you better be grateful. Like, I had a family member that was like that with their generosity. Guess what it does? It saps all joy from receiving the gift. He says, give thanks in all circumstances because that's how you become whole. Because that's how you actually become a mature follower of Jesus. As you practice gratitude, you become a grateful person. You become someone who gives thanks to God. Like, the scriptures imagine us as we follow Jesus, and as we learn to be filled with the Spirit, learn to walk by the Spirit, that we'll be grateful even and especially when we suffer. James 1, 1 Peter 1. We're not going to rise to the occasion of giving thanks in our suffering if we're not giving thanks in the mundane, everyday stuff of life, okay? And so as we pray in a moment, all together, we're going to practice gratitude. We're going to give God thanks. We're going to repent of any ways that we've used our stuff for ourselves and not been faithful in the midst of that, but it's going to start with gratitude. Every day, you want to start prayer in a way that remembers and stirs up the, the still malaise in your heart? Pray in gratitude and thankfulness. The second practice is to cultivate, cultivate a heart that wants to give instead of get, okay? And this whole season is just about, in many ways, getting instead of giving, which is paradoxical because it's all about giving, supposedly, right? We must dedicate our lives to the remembering that all we have is God's blessing to us for the sake of others. Everything that God entrusts to us is to bless us for the sake of others. This goes all the way back to Genesis 12 when God gave his promise to Abram and said, I will bless you that you may be a blessing all the families of the earth. 
we must use what we have, whether material or power or influence, for the needs of others, to stand against evil in the world, to stand and foster community and support with the poor. If we are rich, if we're able to save more than we need, we ought to be diligent about discerning. It is my responsibility to do something with this. How can I do something with this? Not, if I see a need, I'll meet it. Resources are an entrusting to us to be stewarded. So, here are a couple of ideas. Sell something you have. Give the money to someone else. Could be someone in the church that has need. Could be someone outside the church. Could just be, hey, I don't know any particular needs around me right now. You could come to me or one of the deacons in the church, and we could actually connect you with someone who has need. That's one of the real difficult elements of our culture. We hide all of the pain, the need, the sorrow, send the sick to hospitals, send the poor to Skid Row or to someplace where there are services. Part of the challenge in our worldly structures that are unjust is the fact that we remove and send out those with need rather than surrounding those with need. So if you need help finding someone in need, come talk to me, come talk to us, and we will help. Sell something, give the money away. Take someone out to lunch, pick up the tab. Prayerfully determine someone around you and give your month of surplus from your paycheck to them. It's just a few simple ideas. I didn't give all that much thought to it. We need to break free from the assumptions the world places on us. We also need to break free from the assumptions about what a good life is going to be. That we need to, you know, if we want to get there, then we need to take step A, B, and C. So that binds us away from faithfulness to Jesus in the present. Okay. Jesus is here, friends. It's what we're waiting on and remembering in Advent. It is good news. If you feel sorrow, pain, depression. Jesus is here and will make it right. For those of us who have much, Advent is also a reminder that in our waiting, we're stewards. Use it. Watch how God will honor it and bring fruit to it.